This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is a vision for your life. In the first half, Erich W. Kopischke shares his address, What Do You Envision in Life? Then in the second half, Michelle Marchant speaks on My Life is a Gift, My Life Has a Plan. You soon will recognize that I am German. Not only because of my funny accent, but also because of my very direct approach. In the German language, we refer to the idiom mit jemandem Deutsch reden, which would directly translate to talking German to someone. It means to express things in a simple, very clear and direct manner so that no one can misunderstand. So now you know what you will have to put up with today. The time between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve is a very special time of the year. As the days get shorter and the nights grow longer and the temperatures drops lower, we seek light and warmth. Now these elements are found in abundance in all the Christmas lighting that surrounds us. It is in these dark months when we enjoy the shining candles in the house, a romantic candlelight dinner with someone we love, or if we find time, relaxing a little bit by just sitting and reading a good book close to a crackling fireplace. Christmas lights, candles, and open fireplaces provide light and warmth. They not only make us feel cozy, but also help us to direct our thoughts to the source of all light the light of life, the light of the world, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. Celebrating his birth and pondering his life remind us of the dependency we have upon his light and the gratitude we feel for the mortal and eternal blessings of his atonement. This also helps us to realize what matters most in life and often is a time of serious personal reflection and evaluation as we consider the past and contemplate the future. Sadly, and far too often, this wonderful season of re-evaluation becomes the time of the good intentions, when our resolutions to be better end in sudden death within a few days or weeks into the new year. As a boy, I often set New Year's resolutions with great excitement and enthusiasm. My mother, observing my weakness, and sometimes failure to carry out these goals used to say, Erich, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I suspect that all of us fall short in today totally living up to our resolutions, but we ought to try to do better, especially those of us who know the importance of committing ourselves to follow the real light of the world. To us, the prophet Isaiah said, let us walk in the light of the Lord. To walk in this light, our lives need a long-term orientation based on knowledge and conviction. Knowledge of who we really are and the purpose of our creation and the conviction of our eternal destiny. We know that we are sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. As such, we know he wants us to fill the measure of our creation. 
He wants us to find joy and happiness in this life and ultimately reach our destination of immortality and eternal life, crowned with glory, even the presence of God the Father. Now I am looking into your eyes and seeing your smiling faces as I try to envision your dreams and feel your hopes. I think back to when I was as young as you are now. Just having returned from my mission, I was dating a beautiful girl who, after a short period of nervous resistance, fearful investigation, and doubtful anticipation, finally decided to put up with me and give me an honest try. She is now the mother of our seven children, as beautiful as always, and she's sitting here with us on the stand today. In my youth and young adult years, I often asked myself this question, Erich, where will you be ten years from now? Now that I'm getting older, I'm not so much interested in the question anymore. <laughs> well, I remember how my dreams and visions for my future had an important impact upon the decisions that I made. For example, when I was a young boy, our extended family often got together to celebrate birthdays. Among the families, there were nine children, and every birthday was like a mini family reunion. Aunt Annie was my favorite because she seemed to be the never-tiring playmate. She would wrestle with us, play funny games, and just spend time with us. We loved her laugh, her excitement, and her enthusiasm. She never seemed to be depressed or to have a bad day. I still get excited just thinking about her. Because of her example, I envisioned that my future wife would be like her. I wanted my wife to be lively, full of excitement and enthusiasm. In my dream, I even saw my future wife as a grandmother running around with her grandchildren, never tired and always happy. Somehow I had internalized that vision so much that this became the model I was looking for. And guess what? This is exactly what I blessed to receive. Christiana is full of excitement and enthusiasm, and she loves to play with the children and grandchildren. They love her, and I love being around her. The lesson to be learned from this example is that dreams and visions are important. They determine the direction, goals, and priorities we are setting for our lives. The scriptures teach the following, where there is no vision, the people perish. Sometimes our understanding of a principle is enhanced if we reverse the phrasing, which in this case would read, where there is a vision, the people flourish. I truly believe this to be true because I have witnessed it in my own life and in the lives of many others around me. The scripture then continues, But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. This brings me to ask you two very personal questions today. What is your personal vision for your life? And what are you going to do to fulfill it? Something every one of us envisions is to be happy in our lives. One of the divine purposes of our very existence is to experience joy and happiness. Lehi taught, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. The prophet Joseph F. Smith saw in a vision 
that the resurrection of the righteous to eternal life will bring them a fullness of joy. In his famous dream, the prophet Lehi beheld that the fruit of the tree of life was desirable to make one happy. This is why Alma describes the plan God has for us as his children as the great plan of happiness. Joy and happiness are inseparably connected with choosing the lifestyle God has in mind for us, making covenants with him, and keeping his commandments with all our might, mind, and strength. Now this joy is not to be confused with the pleasures of the world. Real happiness and joy have little to do with the amount of money in my bank account, the size of my home, the number of expensive and, of course, German cars registered in my name, or the most mind-boggling and ever-important question, my dear, will the new boat fit into our garage? True happiness and joy arise from our relationship with the Father and the Son and our knowledge that we are completely in tune with them. It also stems from the loving relationships we have with the people who surround us. Therefore, in this life we shall have joy, and again in the flesh we shall see God. The quality and congeniality in our relationships with our spouses, children, grandchildren, friends, and associates determine the level of joy in our lives. We will be increasingly happy if we and our loved ones with us are living after the manner of happiness. Now, my dear young friends, have you already established a clear and strong vision for your life, which includes the pillars of real happiness and joy? If not, I invite you to do so. And if you have, I invite you to embrace your vision with all your heart. It will inspire and guide you in all the critical decisions that you are making during this wonderful season of your life. Let me share with you a doctrine that will help you reach your righteous desire and yearning for happiness more than anything else. If clearly understood and applied, it will bring joy and tremendous security into your life, independent from any circumstance you may face. This doctrine reaches far beyond its earthly life, right into eternity. I'm talking about the doctrine of the family. The concept of family and family life as a true source for happiness has been terribly hollowed out in recent decades. Worldwide, the traditional family is under attack from many different sources. But there are other pitfalls and risks which even relate to some of us who know about the importance divinity and eternal destiny of the family. Influenced by the world and its enticements, the increasing desire for self-centered fulfillment and the inclination for comfort or making things easy, we put the family and our happiness under stress. All too often, happiness in our life is defined by the quality of our all-round carefree package which we hope to achieve and retain in a low investment and high return mode. But life does not work in this way. It was never intended to be easy. The Lord said to Joseph Smith, For after much tribulation come the blessings, wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. 
The Lord has clearly revealed how to develop and retain strong families. We all are invited to study and apply the principles set forth in the family of proclamation to the world. Additionally, we need to recognize that drawing personal strength and happiness from family life requires some sacrifice and faith. The proclamation states that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. It further states that God's commandment for His children to multiply and replenish the earth remains in full force. Among many, the image and purpose of the family has drastically changed. Increasingly, society is adopting the so-called soulmate model of marriage, which focuses on the needs and the feelings of the adults as opposed to those of the children. As a result, many enter marriage after long-standing relationship rather than move forward after an appropriate courtship. Finding the perfect match, testing a relationship by cohabitation without the benefits of marriage, or securing a lavish lifestyle that will be backed by a robust prenuptial agreement have become common practices among many before they even consider marriage. Scriptures and modern-day prophets teach us differently. We build our marriages on foundation of chastity and fidelity with the intent to establish and rear a family. The prophet of my youth, Benson W. Kimball, taught, and I quote, The lighted way then brings us to normal, clean courting of young men and women, coming eventually to a virtuous union at an altar where a fully authorized servant of God seals the union for eternity. The Hebrew saints were properly taught marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but warmongers and adulterers God will judge. And to those who might decry marriage or postpone it, or forbid it, Paul spoke, condemning them. It's generally selfishness, cold and self-centered, which leads people to shun marriage responsibility. President Kimball continues, There are many who talk and write against marriage. Even some of our own delay marriage and argue against it. We call upon all people to accept normal marriage as a basis for true happiness. Basically, marriage proposes a family. The psalmist said, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. End of quote. When Christiane and I were young, these were the words of our living prophet, and we trusted and followed his advice. We knelt across the altar of the Swiss temple being only 22 and 20 years of age. We were worthy of the covenant. We had no real clue of what to expect, no work experience or finished education, and we were poor as church mice. All that we had in abundance was our love for each other and a lot of naive enthusiasm. But we began building our world together. We did not postpone having children, and we needed to support each other in getting our educations. We strongly believed in the Lord's promise that If ye do keep his commandments, he doth bless you and prosper you. And he did. When we married, Christiana was in nursing school. Our vision included having her finish her degree, 
But at the same time, we also made a conscious decision to begin fulfilling our dream of having a family. As a result, our first child was born about two weeks before Christiana passed her final exam as a certified nurse. However, we knew that even in our marriage, there would be stumbling blocks, challenges, and some difficulties. But the two of us, we had a simple oral agreement, which we often repeated to each other with smiles on our faces. Quote, if difficulties approach, no manslaughter and no divorce. <laughs> now, 36 years later, we are grateful that we could build this family together. Our faith in God and our relationship with each other has become unshaken as we have seen the hand of the Lord guiding us through the process of building our kingdom and mortality, which at the present consists of seven children and six grandchildren. This kingdom will continue to grow forever and ever. For this vision of happiness, we both were ready to sacrifice. We accepted the divinely appointed roles of the father to preside and provide and the mother to nurture. Sister Julie Beck, former General Relief Society president of the church, stated, The priesthood role of fathers is to preside and pass priesthood ordinances to the next generation. The priesthood role of mothers is to influence. These are essential, complementary, and interdependent responsibilities. Helping one another in a marriage and family as equal partners does not mean that we always do the same things or do everything together, or in equal shares. We understand and accept different roles given to us by divine design as outlined in the proclamation on the family. We are not following the world in what is described as emancipation, where both husband and wife live only to fulfill their own self-interests. We are living the principle of complementariness and completion with respect to each other and to our children. President James E. Faust, in a BYU devotional address given almost 30 years ago, counseled the sisters to be careful not to do everything at once and to do what is most important first with the family, and then other desires can follow. He said, quote, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And then he said, It seems that the new roles of women have not decreased their responsibilities because while the new roles are challenging, the old roles of wife and mother are in the soul and cry out to be satisfied. Fortunately, in most cases, I would like to add, a woman does not have to track a career like a man does. She may fit more than one career into the various seasons of life. She cannot sing all the verses of her song at the same time. End of quote. Now, my young friends, some of you may say, well, our situation today is different. The world today is not ideal. There must be room for exceptions. With regard to making exception, President Pecker once told the following story, and I quote him. As mission president, I attended a Mission Relief Society conference. Our Mission Relief Society president, a relatively recent convert, announced something of a course correction. Some local societies had strayed and invited them to conform more closely to the direction set by the General Relief Society presidency. 
One sister in the congregation stood and defiantly told her that they were not willing to follow her counsel, saying they were an exception. A bit flustered, she turned to me for help. I didn't know what to do. I was not interested in facing a fierce woman. So I motioned her to proceed. And then came the revelation. This lovely Relief Society president, small and somewhat handicapped physically, said with gentle firmness, Dear sister, we'd like not to take care of the exception first. We will take care of the rule first, and then we will see to the exceptions. The course of correction was accepted. President Pecker continued, Her advice is good for Relief Society, priesthood, and for families. When you state a rule and include the exception in the same sentence, the exception is accepted first. End of quote. Therefore, I am attempting to teach you the rule or the divine ideal and let you deal with the exception as you walk the course of your life. In the vision we had for our family, we wanted Christiana to stay home to rear our children. This meant sacrifice. And shortly after we learned that a baby was on its way, Christiana reminded me of the mutual decision we had made even before our wedding day that she would immediately stop working outside the home as soon as a baby was born. I tried to escape what I knew would be additional responsibility for me by mentioning that she was contributing one-third of our family income. Her simple answer was, that's your problem. <laughs> I will take care of the children and you take care for putting food on the table. And I knew she was right. We had discussed it long before. It was in tune with our vision of family life. It was in tune with the words of the living prophets. And it felt right. So she gave up her well-paying career as a nurse to be close to the children and meet their daily needs. And I had to get my act together to provide food and shelter. The Lord blessed us to be able to fulfill this aspect of our vision. Other important matters like parenting, teaching, mentoring, cleaning, or even diaper changing we did together as often as circumstances allowed. Now this division of labor occurred because it has always been part of how we envisioned our family life. It requires faith to establish and act upon a vision. But it is only when we move forward in faith that we put ourselves in a position that the Lord can bless us. A young couple recently shared an experience with me that illustrates this point. Like Christiana and me, their vision was to begin their family as soon as possible after they were married. They had two criteria for doing so. First, they needed a health insurance and they wanted to be able to care for their baby without using child care. Not too long after the wife graduated from college, she got a job that provided health insurance and would allow her to work from home. Their plans seemed to have fallen in place exactly as they had hoped, and soon they were expecting their first child. They felt they could do both, care for the baby between their work and school schedules. In the summer, the soon-to-be father was looking for an internship in his chosen profession. He had several interviews, but none of them worked out. In October, when his wife was seven months pregnant, she got a call from her boss. The boss informed her that the federal grant 
that funded her salary would not be renewed. The agency was happy to offer her another job, but she would not be able to work from home. The couple was heartbroken. They thought they had planned well and that the circumstances were perfect for the wife to be able to stay at home with the baby. Several weeks went by and they adjusted to the idea that they would need to use some form of daycare. About three weeks before her December due date, the husband received a call out of the blue from one of the business owners who had interviewed him in the summer. The man said he had just made some new hires and put a rejection letter in the mail to the husband. But then he had a very strong feeling that he should hire the husband. The business owner told the young man to ignore the rejection letter and offered him a full-time position with benefits. And concluding her account of these events, the wife wrote, We were overjoyed. We knew that the Lord had taken a special interest in our desire for me to be a stay-at-home mom. And the Lord's plan was even better than our plan. If things had gone our way, I would have had to work while caring for our child. But with this new situation, I was able to devote my full time and attention to our new baby, which had always been our ultimate goal. Like this young couple, Christiane and I have found that as we have acted in faith and trusted in the Lord, He has helped us to do His will in His way and according to His timing. Now I have to say that His way did not mean that everything turned immediately out the way we thought that it would. Sometimes we had to be very patient, sometimes we had to put in some extra efforts, and sometimes it even was as if the Lord was testing our seriousness. However, our vision always has inspired us and has been the foundation for the most important decisions. One thing that Christian and I always envisioned was for us to be with our children in the celestial room of a temple as a prelude for the eternal joy and glory we hope one day to experience. Over the past several years, we have taken one child after another to receive their temple ordinances, symbolically returning them to our Heavenly Father after teaching them the principles of righteousness. The last experience of that kind we just had two months ago when one of our youngest sons entered the temple. We have accompanied three of our children to the temple altars as they were married to their sweethearts, and we anticipate more temple weddings to come. Nothing has provided more happiness and satisfaction in our lives than the joy we have found in one another and our posterity. Once we understood that these are just the beginnings of our eternal progression and therefore only the very first levels of our joy and happiness, we were and are willing to sacrifice all that we have to live the doctrine of the family and see our vision fully realized. I invite you, my dear young friends, to ponder this doctrine and come to know for yourself what really matters most. This type of happiness is at the heart of our existence. And happiness which stems from congenial relationships between husband, wife, and children is always growing and increasing. There is one more thing that you need to do after you have studied the doctrine of the family and established a vision for your happiness. You have to become serious about implementing your vision. I would like to share an additional lesson from my personal experience 
The first initial rejection I received when my courtship with Christiana made me a little discouraged. I had just about decided to begin a fruitful career as a young single adult in the church. One day I had a special spiritual impression. I was participating in an ordinance in the Swiss temple when I heard a voice in my heart saying something to this effect, Erich, if you do not seriously strive to marry and enter into the new and everlasting covenant, all these teaching and blessings really make no difference for you. It was a wake-up call, and I received it when I was 21. And from that moment, I tried even harder to be worthy of that blessing. I invite you to set personal goals regarding your vision. Preach my gospel, we read, Goals reflect the desire of our heart and a vision of what we can accomplish. Through goals and plans, our hopes are transformed into action. Goal setting and plannings are acts of faith. I invite you to be serious. Do not trifle with sacred things. Once you reach a marriageable age, don't just date for fun. Never compromise your eternal birthright by doing anything that would deprive you from making the most important covenants in the temple. As you treat every date as a potential eternal companion, you will never do inappropriate things that would physically or spiritually harm your date or compromise your own worthiness and darken your vision. Your spiritual perception will never be dimmed, and you will always be entitled to the whisperings of the Spirit. He will encourage and confirm you as you make these most important decisions in your life, even at times when you are scared to death. Hold yourself accountable to the Lord with respect to your vision and goals in life. If there is something you need to repent of, don't hesitate a second to do so. Both this life and eternal life are too important to procrastinate the day of our repentance. Follow the invitation of the Savior who encouraged us to ask the Father in the name of Jesus for what things soever ye shall stand in need. Doubt not, but be believing and begin as in times of old and come unto the Lord with all your heart and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before him. I would like to share a thought with those of you who are trying hard to implement these principles but have not yet succeeded. I recognize that some of you, given your circumstances, may need to adapt the ideal vision of a family to fit your personal situation. But I have learned that the Lord will help us as we act in faith and follow the ideal to the extent possible. The gospel of Jesus Christ includes a most comforting component. It is the finishing or completing aspect of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Moroni admonishes us to always stay on the right way, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, we can pursue the course in life we need to take. But if we fail because of weakness or missing opportunities, he will either reach out to us or fill in the gap and become the finisher of our faith. It is he who stated, For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works, according to the desires of their hearts. And from the church handbook we read, Faithful members whose circumstances do not allow them to receive the blessings of eternal marriage and parenthood in this life will receive all promised blessings in the eternities, provided they keep the covenants they have made with God.
I testify that the Lord meant what he said when he stated that it is not good that the man should be alone and that his ultimate desire for all of his children is that they should receive a fullness of joy. Therefore, always keep your vision before you and strive for the ideal of living an eternal family. This means preparing to become worthy spouses and loving fathers and mothers. In some cases, these blessings will not be fulfilled until the next life, but the ultimate goal is the same for all. Now, at the beginning of my remarks, I promised you the direct German approach. So please don't be offended at what I have said. I know there are as many different life circumstances as there are people in this room. I know there are different in cultures, traditions, and expectations. However, the doctrines and privileges outlined today are eternal and they are true, and they stand independent from our personal life situations. I have every confidence that as you sincerely ponder and prayerfully consider your personal vision in the context of these doctrines and principles, you will be able to develop a vision for your life that will be pleasing to the Lord and lead to your greatest happiness. I testify of this wonderful truth. God lives. Jesus is the Christ. It is through the plan of the Father and the atonement of Jesus Christ that we have access to such marvelous opportunities for happiness in this life and promises of a future where our individual kingdoms will be expand beyond our current capacity to fully understand. So, one more I ask you. What is your vision in your life? And what are you willing to do to achieve it? I pray the blessings of heaven on you as you ponder these questions and strive to obtain sacred eternal blessings. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is a vision for your life. We've just heard from Eric W. Kopischke. After the break, we'll return with Michelle Marchant for My Life is a Gift, My Life has a Plan. is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is a vision for your life. Next is Michelle Marchant, Associate Professor in the BYU Department of Counseling Psychology and Special Education at the time of this address, titled, My Life is a Gift, My Life has a Plan. At a recent state conference I attended, the Visiting General Authority opened the evening session for questions, and a man in the congregation asked, Could it be that I have the wrong patriarchal blessing? At first I was startled by his words, but as I pondered the implications of his heartfelt question, I realized that I also had times when I doubted whether or not portions of my patriarchal blessing would really be fulfilled. Can you identify Are there times in your life's journey when your faith wavers in respect to God's plan for that journey? In my experience, following God's plan has been made easier by knowing my relationship to God, experiencing the divine nature of love and service, recognizing the example of prophets, finding joy and guidance in the temple, learning from the experiences of others, and ultimately trusting the wisdom of God's plan for me. 
During our time together this morning, I would like to consider with you these milestones in the journey God has ordained for us. I invite the Spirit to be with us. When my sister Natalie delivered her second child, I was blessed to visit her family in Wisconsin. One night in preparation for bedtime, I was singing I Am a Child of God with my then three-year-old niece, Amanda. She looked up at me from her bed and said, Aunt Michelle, Heavenly Father made you and He made me. Tears welled in my eyes as I considered the pure doctrine this toddler had expressed. At a very young age, Amanda understood one of the most central truths of God's plan, that all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. This principle is so significant to Heavenly Father's plan that He emphasizes it in the Family of Proclamation to the World, the Young Woman's Theme, and the Relief Society Declaration as well as in primary, where young children sing many songs that highlight this simple truth. Many modern-day prophets have also underscored the message of our divine nature. Recently, our beloved President Thomas S. Motson declared, I never cease to be amazed by how the Lord can motivate and direct the length and breadth of His kingdom and yet have time to provide inspiration concerning one individual. The fact that He can— That He does is a testimony to me. The Lord is in all of our lives. Brothers and sisters, for the past few years I have felt impressed to study the nature of God and His plan of salvation. In doing so, I have come to understand some beautiful truths. I bear witness that what Amanda taught me when she was three years old is true. Heavenly Father did make you and me. He made us for a divine purpose. I testify that He knows you by name and that He loves you. One of His greatest desires is to guide your future as He has your past. I testify that the Lord is eager to be in your life by sharing His love and His plan for each of you. Have confidence in the Lord. Elder Quentin L. Cook commented, Understanding how Heavenly Father feels about us and the potential that He recognizes in each of us gives us the power to love Him more purely and fully. Personally feeling the reality, love, and power of that relationship is the source of the deepest and sweetest emotions and desires that can come to a man or woman in mortality. These deep emotions of love can motivate us. We can show that love in so many simple ways. Recently, my sister Natalie posted on Facebook that my sweet Amanda, now 12 years old, had shared her coat with her younger sister Marin on their way to school because Marin had left her coat at home. Amanda's understanding of the profound doctrine concerning love has motivated her in how she treats other people, particularly her own sister. Her example inspires me. I'd like to believe that a portion of Amanda's understanding of her divine nature is derived from her heritage. Her great-grandmother, Beatrice Marchant, was a woman of noble faith and continual service. Grandma Marchant wrote in one of her personal histories, The first and most important fact for me to share with my posterity is that I was born a child of God. I can appreciate and understand the world and the people around me if only I make an effort to do so. I even have the ability to help change the world for better or for worse. This has made my life an interesting experience. Grandma Marchant was a remarkable woman. She raised 15 children. 
cared for her invalid husband for 10 years prior to his death while simultaneously providing for her many children, fed every person who walked through the doors of her home despite her limited resources, worked as one of the first women legislators for the state of Utah, served as Relief Society president at age 70, and without fail acknowledged every birthday and anniversary of each of her enormous posterity, including in-laws. I could go on and on about my grandma's loving, giving heart. It is an honor to have learned from a woman who recognized her divine nature in such a profound way that many around her, particularly her posterity, have felt her influence. Grandma Marchant was the epitome of these words taught by Moroni. That which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve Him is inspired of God. I am grateful for the examples of my niece and my grandmother who followed God's plan by doing good upon the earth. My desire is that I will also live my life loving and doing good continually so that the Lord will guide me continually. I likewise find great strength from the examples of prophets, including the brother of Jared and Joseph Smith, who were eager to seek the Lord's guidance to fulfill His divine plan for them. Both of these prophets were impelled by their great faith to turn to the Lord to receive guidance. The brother of Jared sought the Lord's direction for the welfare of his people, particularly their basic needs such as language, land, and light. Joseph Smith sought wisdom concerning religious truth. Each secluded himself from other people in order to plead with the Lord, one upon a mountain, the other in a grove. Both acknowledged their weaknesses and expressed the desires of their hearts, including ways that their needs might be met. Both men experienced adversity. The brother of Jared and his people lacked light and ventilation in their sea-tight barges. Joseph was seized by a thick darkness that threatened him with despair and destruction. What transpired next for both of these chosen servants was miraculous and powerful. The Lord appeared to each of them, and light was a significant aspect of these divine visitations. The Lord touched the stones provided by the brother of Jared, making them instruments of light for the barges. A pillar of light descended and rested upon Joseph Smith as he was invited to voice his question about religious truth to God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. Receiving a direct answer that would change the course of his life forever and the history of the world. Despite the transcendent importance of these events, I find what occurred after them to be even more significant. Neither the brother of Jared nor the prophet Joseph kept the light revealed by the Lord's secret. They shared it freely with all who would benefit from it. The Jaredite stones became the source of light so that men, women, and children might not cross the great waters in darkness to and upon the shore of the Promised Land. Joseph first shared the light of wisdom and truth of the first vision with his family, then his close friends and associates, and ultimately the world. Brothers and sisters, we wouldn't be sitting here today in the Marriott Center if Joseph Smith had not shared the light he received, nor would we know about the brother of Jared. The far-reaching effects of the light Joseph Smith received and shared are almost incalculable. As recorded in The Pearl of Great Price, the Lord revealed to Abraham the doctrine of eternal nature of spirits. He specifically taught Abraham that there were organized before the world was many noble and great ones. 
From modern-day revelation, we know that prophets like Abraham, the brother of Jared, and Joseph Smith were among those noble and great ones. You, too, were among the noble and great ones. I testify that your presence and purpose upon this earth are as important to God as any of the noble and great ones who have gone before. God is an attentive Father, and in His eyes, all His children possess nobility and greatness. I find the way in which Elder Maxwell captured this doctrine. The same God that placed that star in a precise orbit millennia before it appeared over Bethlehem in celebration of the birth of the babe has given at least equal attention to placement of each of us in precise orbits so that we may, if we will, illuminate the landscape of our individual lives so that our light may not only lead others but warm them as well. The lesson I draw from Elder Maxwell's statement is to do much like the brother of Jared and the prophet Joseph did. Have faith in the Lord's divine plan for us, both past and future, with the intent to lead others to partake of His light. In doing so, we are able to help others progress toward their divine potential. I am grateful for the tender experiences of making covenants and serving within God's holy temples. Participating in temple work has been a vital part of discovering my nobility and understanding the Lord's plan for me. Prior to serving my full-time mission to Haiti, I was blessed to receive my endowment in the Salt Lake Temple. I count that experience as one of the most glorious of my life. The love I felt as I passed through the veil into the celestial room greeted by family and friends was unfathomable. I am the oldest of eight children, and my parents have been less active in the Church since I was 12 years of age. Trusted friends and relatives were gracious to offer love and support so that I was not alone as I prepared for and was blessed by this sacred ordinance. I recall feeling a strong desire to remain in the celestial room encircled by these good individuals so that I could continue to partake of the love that filled my soul. I soon realized that the feelings I experienced during my first visit to the temple could be renewed. I have come to appreciate that regularly entering the Lord's house allows me to partake of His love and gain a clearer perspective about my divine potential. It is often within these hallowed walls that I seek and receive the Lord's guidance for my future. Sometimes my request is related to an everyday need. For example, what is the best direction for this talk that I have been asked to give? Or who should serve alongside me in a calling I have just received? Other times I have sought direction regarding decisions that are of more eternal consequence, such as, Is this college major the best choice for fulfilling my potential? Is this job opportunity the right match for me? Or should I continue to date this man? Irrespective of the question, the Lord ultimately provides an answer that leads me toward the destiny He has planned for me. In the temple, I have become keenly aware that the Lord knows us by name, and as I hear the name of the person for whom I am performing ordinances repeated over and over, this has confirmed to me that He is aware of me as He is aware of each of His children. The power of His words, I say unto you that mine eyes are upon you, I am in your midst, has become more tangible. He has designed an individualized plan to help each person to progress so that each can return to live with Him. 
This message is one that I am eager to share with others, especially my own family. I feel great joy watching my family members enter the Lord's house and participate in ordinances that will lead them to know God's plan. Many of my siblings provide opportunities for their teenagers to participate in temple work. It is evident that my nieces and nephews' experiences in the temple have guided them to make righteous choices for their future, particularly as they progress into their adult years. As they advance their education, serve missions, date people with high moral standards, and accept opportunities to build God's kingdom, they show that they are committed to fulfilling their divinely appointed plan. I testify that worship and service in His holy house is key to seeking and receiving His direction, to being able to fulfill God's plan and share His love with others. I would like to share the experience of a young woman who is truly one of the noble and great ones. With time, this young woman chose to make changes in her life and to covenant with the Lord. She is a modern-day individual who allowed her faith in the Lord's plan for her to influence others. A few years ago, a student who was enrolled in one of my classes—I will refer to her as Anna—was essentially failing. When Anna attended class, she portrayed a passion about becoming a teacher. One day I felt impressed to invite Anna to visit with me in my office. Through the course of our discussion, I learned that her family background was complicated and challenging. Unfortunately, participating in school and living the gospel had not been high priorities for Anna's family and therefore had not become high priorities for Anna. In her formative years, she had become disillusioned and profoundly disappointed by the inconsistency, addictions, and destructive behaviors she saw swirling around her. Because of her turbulent family situation, Anna was taken into the home of relatives. Her aunt and uncle encouraged her to attend school and participate in extracurricular activities, particularly dance. Anna was wary about church, but acknowledged that the young woman in her ward unconditionally reached out to her despite her values and minimal church activity. With time, participation in school and in dance, as well as the love of her relatives, helped Anna develop self-confidence. Ultimately, Anna's relatives encouraged her to apply to BYU. To their delight, she was accepted. Being accepted at BYU wasn't necessarily the golden ticket for Anna. Her family continued to be unstable. She avoided religious activity, and old habits began to resurface, and old wounds refused to heal. At this time in her college experience, Anna was enrolled in my class. I felt prompted that I needed to provide Anna another opportunity to demonstrate her commitment to becoming a teacher. Together we created a plan that would help her acquire the knowledge and skills necessary to pass my class and be on the road to becoming a professional educator. To my delight, Anna embraced the plan and passed my class. To my disappointment, I didn't hear from her once the semester ended. More than two years later, I was working in my office when a young woman appeared at my door. It was Anna. She radiated peace and joy. Something had changed since I would last seen her. When I probed, Anna told me that she had just returned from serving a full-time mission. I was overcome by the complete transformation I saw and felt in her. 
Anna recently disclosed to me that during much of her youth and early young adult years, she had felt trapped and angry. Many things influenced Anna's journey of change—friends, relatives, roommates, the testimonies of others, the Book of Mormon, the temple, and so forth. The turning point for Anna was when she realized a need to anchor herself in Christ. She began to feel the light and power of Christ's atoning love, especially when she read the Book of Mormon. Eventually, she could not contain the light and love she felt, and she knew that she needed to share them. So she worked with her bishop to prepare to serve a mission. As a missionary, Anna found that the more she served, the more she wanted to serve. Brothers and sisters, Anna's story doesn't end there. Last December, I was jogging along 9th East near the MTC entrance. As I crossed the street, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw Anna approaching me. This young woman who had struggled with the Church during her youth and nearly failed my class is now sharing her light and love with the missionaries as an MTC teacher. My heart was full. When I asked Anna's permission to share her experiences, she readily agreed and quickly told me that the essence of her story is the transforming influence of the Lord's love and light in her life. While acknowledging that her journey has not been easy, she is quick to add, The Lord has guided me. He has taken me by the hand and guided my life. Now I can be His instrument. All the things I have are because of God's hand in my life. Anna's experience reminds me of Mother Teresa's tender words. May today there be peace within. May you trust that you are exactly where you are meant to be. May you not forget the infinite possibilities that are born of faith in yourself and others. May you use the gifts that you have received and pass on the love that has been given to you. Allow your soul the freedom to sing, dance, and love. I am honored to know Anna and others like her at BYU. Your commitment to rise above the temporal and partake of the divine is inspiring. Clearly, you chose to seek your divine nature in your first estate, and as a result, you were granted the privilege to live in this second estate. So the question before you is, how will you embrace your second estate? The examples of my niece Amanda, my grandma Marchant, modern and ancient prophets, and BYU students like Anna have inspired me to embrace my second estate with hope. A few years ago, a friend gave me a framed quote from an alternate translation of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, which reads, For I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good, to give you a future and a hope. I have positioned this framed quote in my bedroom so that I see it every morning and night as a reminder that the promises of the Lord, if perhaps not always swift, are always certain. As one who has yet to experience the blessings of marriage, I have shared with you today truths I have wrestled to understand and accept. My tears have wet my pillow many a night over the timing of marriage. I do not know the reason why Heavenly Father's plan for me is a bit different than His plan for my sisters, various friends, and even many of my BYU students and former young women. But this I do know. I am a child of God, just as each of you is a noble child of God. He loves us, and He has sent each of us here for an individual and distinct purpose. 
I am learning that His words are sure and shall not fail, but all things must come to pass in their own time. I rejoice in His plan for me. I know that His promises are sure for each child of God in this room and beyond, even when you cannot fully see or understand His complete design for you individually. As I have fervently supplicated the Lord and experienced His tender mercies, I can now bear witness that the Lord will reveal His plan to you if you cheerfully do all things that lie in your power and then stand still. So rather than question the promises of my patriarchal blessing, I have chosen to show faith, believing the truth found in the primary song, My life is a gift. My life has a plan. I promise that your patriarchal blessing is for you to keep. What I have learned in my life's journey is that the Lord will not tell me the end from the beginning, but He is eager to guide my future as He has my past. We read these powerful words in the Bible dictionary. Faith must be cultured. The effects of true faith include an actual knowledge that the course of life one is pursuing is acceptable to the Lord. I bear witness that the Lord knows you by name, just as He knows the brother of Jared and the prophet Joseph. He is so eager to share His infinite love with you. He wants you to fill His love so that you will embrace your life's plan and cherish the gift that it is. Moreover, He wants you to share His love and light with others. Will you accept the invitation to be still, come to know Him, and trust His plan for you so that you can in turn share His light and love with others? I testify that He is the light, the life, and the hope of the world. It is the greatest desire of my heart to go forth and share His light, His life, and His hope with all who are within my circle of influence. In His sacred name, even Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was A Vision for Your Life, with thoughts from Eric W. Kopischke and Michelle Marchant. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.